0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to advancing options and providing hope for people living with cancer. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about pancreatic cancer research with Dr. Luisa Escobar-Hoyos. Dr. Escobar-Hoyos is an assistant professor of therapeutic radiology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology.
1: Luisa, maybe we can take a step back first and just tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Yes, sure. I am a cancer scientist.
2: I basically try to understand at the molecular cell uh, level, how do cancer cells work? I am... Um, originally born and raised in Colombia, South America, but I always had a passion to come to the U.S. to train in cancer biology and therapy. And this was based on an inspiration because my mom, she's also a cancer scientist, and she inspired me since I was in, in a young age to become a cancer scientist. So fast forward a few years, um, I came here 10 years ago um, with this big dream to make a difference for, for cancer, and especially for the patients and their families. And recently, a year ago, I started my own lab here at Yale. And in my lab, we have different individuals that work either because they are training in research. So at this level, we have, you know, graduate students and, and, um, Master students and PhD students, and we also have postdocs that come to train after their PhD level before they can launch their own lab so my job is as a mentor as a leader is to manage all the research activity and programs that are are being funded by different institutions uh, you know government or or private institutions uh, and it's all with the hope that we can cure pancreatic cancer and change the course of this
1: disease. So, so tell us more about that. I mean, it, it sounds like a lofty goal, right? Uh, to to find a cure for pancreatic cancer and change the course of this disease. But how exactly are you doing that? We try to understand this disease by using as many
2: systems, biological systems that we can. So we start by first understanding the tumors from the patients. So to do this, we dive into doing DNA sequencing, RNA sequencing, proteomics to really understand the building blocks of these cells. Um, and, and from those analyses that we generate from the tumors, but also with clear understanding of the clinical need to develop new therapies to diagnose it early. That's when we start combining how can we use the data that we're receiving from the patients to answer these questions that the clinical field uh, has been challenged with. Then we go and we start engineering different model systems where we tightly control the variables. So for example, in cells, we can manipulate the expression Of genes and proteins, Um, or in mice, we can actually introduce mutations to the mice in their pancreata and lead them or, or, or force them to, to form tumors, that later we can use these all these models combined to test different hypotheses related to the basic biology of the cancer cell or to test different novel therapies that either we generated or a pharmaceutical company comes to us because they're interested in testing it in our models. So I guess what I'm trying to say is every time you're going to learn such a complex disease as it is cancer you need to take advantage and to generate as many model systems to interrogate the hypothesis that it's behind it so we do this in a team based effort so in my group not only we have people that are interested in basic science but we also have clinicians or 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 individuals who are in clinical training. So we can bring all of these areas of thought into these questions and these experimental designs that we do. We also bring computational scientists. For example, there's a lot of data out there that has been derived from multiple institutions and across the world of uh, sequencing from the patient samples, and sometimes we can build those databases in our in house. But we also take advantage of all of this data that is being deposited out there for other scientists to analyze in different ways. So, as a community, we can actually develop and first learn better these, uh, understand better these tumors, and also come up with better ways to treating them.
1: And so, by sequencing, you mean sequencing the 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 genes of of the tumor itself? Yes. So
2: what we do is we sequence the whole genome of that tumor cell. So we're looking at more than 95,000 genes at the same time. And we are interrogating, are there mutations on these genes? How differently is a gene being turned on or turned off between normal and cancer cells? And when we turn them on, do they produce a single protein or do they produce multiple proteins from that same template of the DNA? And so that level of complexity, and imagine all of this, all these 95,000 um, genes, mutations, expressions on and off, times number of cells in a tumor and times all the patients that are coming for us to analyze. So there is a lot of uh, data uh, analysis that goes here, uh, but really with what what's driving this analysis is the biological and clinical questions that we want to answer.
1: and so as you as you look at all of this data and you're you're sequencing uh, the genomes of these cancers and figuring out which genes are turned on and which ones are turned off. What's the next step? I mean, what people really want to know is, can you prevent pancreatic cancer either by causing aberrant genes that should not be turned on to stay not turned on or uh, turn them off um, once they're already there? So can you prevent uh, cancers from forming? Or can you use some of what you're learning in terms of the sequencing to actually treat these cancers? So how do you kind of get from understanding what genes are turned on and what genes are turned off to really having something that has clinical impact? That's a very good question. So in pancreatic
2: cancer field, there are two kind of points two points of, 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 of research that we're trying to tackle. The first one is early diagnosis. And then the second one is treatment. My lab in particularly is focused more on the treatment side. So when we start looking for what are we going to learn from all of these sequencing in terms to really come up with novel ways for therapeutic approaches for these patients that desperately needed, we take an approach where we start comparing The tumors from patients that actually were very aggressive versus those tumors from other patients that were maybe a little bit more responsive to therapy. And we try to understand how are these tumors different at the molecular level. The reason why we want to understand differences is because we don't think that there is a single therapy that works for all of the tumors. We know that the mutations that the tumors carry makes them biologically different. So what I'm trying to say is, although they may have the same diagnoses at the molecular level, they're almost kind of oranges and apples. And so we're trying to dissect out the therapy that goes for the oranges and the therapy that goes for the apples. What my lab is doing differently from what other labs have done is we look at the level of turning on or turning off genes at a at a, at a level that is almost imagined 10 times deeper than what other scientists have covered so far. So let me tell you a little bit of how the genome works. We used to think that a gene would get transcribed into this mrna and then the mrna would form a single protein and the proteins to remind to remind everyone are the functional units of the cell there is a pathway by which the cells actually from a single gene they can produce up to seven different mrnas and each one of these mrnas can produce seven different proteins so we most of the time the scientists, we focus on just one of the forms of those proteins from that single gene because probably is the more abundant one. But it's not until you start doing these analysis uh, that we do at the mRNA sequencing level that you start understanding that there are not only genes that are being turned on or turned off, but that when some gene is turned is being turned on, maybe it's producing protein A, and maybe in other tumors the gene is still turned on, but it's producing protein B, and A and B are so different, and and this is what my lab tries to dissect out. What we the what we call A and B are protein isoforms. So these protein isoforms, as I was mentioning, may have different functions. And because previously the the technology or the methods that we had available could only uh, tell us is the gene is on and off, now we have the analytical tools and the technology to say it's being on, but then it's preferentially expressing the protein isoform A or the isoform B. And that uncovers a very new biology about cancer cells. That, that something that had not been seen before. Mm, why is this important? It turns out that if we can dissect this complexity and diversity in pancreatic cancer, potentially this can lead us to new therapies. Actually, last year my pub my, my work group published that pancreatic cancer is highly susceptible to any therapy that perturbs this system of producing protein isoform A versus protein isoform B, suggesting that there is potentially a therapeutic opportunity to um, understand more of these tumors at the protein isoform level and to generate particular therapies for these uh, different proteins that are being expressed.
1: So, so let me make sure I've got this straight. So, so you've kind of discovered that um, various genes can, when turned on, will make different isoforms, and and that these isoforms will respond differently to therapy. So then the question is: Well, at the clinic level, is it possible to distinguish which are which? In other words. If there is a particular therapy that works better for protein isoform A versus B, is there a way to know whether a particular patient is producing protein isoform A or B? Yes. So
2: basically, we are trying to get at the point where we develop a ion, an isoform-specific therapy, uh, and this will drive um, personalized therapy. We have developed in my lab a novel therapeutic, uh, mechanism to be able to switch and correct these, uh, isoform expression. Let's say that isoform B is the most, is the most uh, aggressive one and it's the most uh, tumorigenic. We can actually correct that, that isoform and switch it to the, to the A form, which is actually the less aggressive form. And this can drastically impact the biology and the growth of the tumor. So we're excited to see what's going to happen with this new therapy as we
1: start uh, moving it into clinical trials. Interesting. Well, we're going to have to take a short break for a medical minute, but we'll get back into that conversation right after this with my guest, Dr. Luisa escobar Hoyos.
0: Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, working to eliminate cancer as a cause of death. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about pancreatic cancer, which represents about 3% of all cancers in the U.S. and about 7% of cancer deaths. Clinical trials are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers for the treatment of advanced stage and metastatic pancreatic cancer using chemotherapy and other novel therapies. Fulfirinox, a combination of five different chemotherapies, is the latest advance in the treatment of metastatic pancreatic cancer. And research continues at centers around the world looking into targeted therapies and a recently discovered marker, HENT1. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio.
1: Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Luisa Escobar-Hoyos. We're talking about her recent research looking at pancreatic cancers. And before the break, she was telling us about how she's looking at uh, really the, the, the genome of these cancers, finding out that it's not just about genes being turned on and turned off, but what protein isoforms those genes that are turned on actually make. And some of those may be more aggressive than others. So, Louisa, before we dig more into your research and and the idea that you could actually switch from a a protein isoform that is more aggressive to a protein isoform that's less aggressive, maybe we can take a step back and you can tell us a little bit more about why you decided to look at pancreatic cancer to begin with. It's certainly one of the most lethal cancers, um, but talk a little bit more about that. Yes. So it's actually a personal
2: journey. Um, When I was a PhD student, I used to study cervical cancer. Cervical cancer, as we all know, is now not as lethal because we have it controlled because we screen for this disease and um, there's less cases that appear in the US. But after my PhD, I started thinking that I wanted to put all my effort to understanding a cancer that really needed our attention. And that's when pancreatic cancer came to to my mind. Several reasons. Um, There is a a clinical need that we need to meet. Um, In the last 40 years, we have not changed the five-year survival of pancreatic cancer, although we had made a big progress in understanding the genetics. Um, And also, I wanted to be sure to bring whatever I had learned from my understanding of cervical cancer and apply it into understanding this more aggressive disease. Um, That's when I started training in pancreatic cancer at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center under the mentorship of Stephen Leach, a well world-renowned pancreatic cancer scientist. So we both kind of wanted to study a different level of gene expression uh, by understanding isoform switching by more specifically understanding the RNA splicing pathway in these cancer cells.
1: So, so you, you had talked a little bit before the break about this isoform switching, but you, you just introduced a new term, RNA splicing. What exactly is that and how does that play into this whole story? Yes,
2: So RNA splicing is this pathway by which the cells decide to uh, produce one protein isoform versus another. And this is what allows the cell to diversify the proteome. So previously, we were talking about 95,000 genes. And if we can now multiply that Each one of those genes is going to produce at least five or seven different proteins. Imagine how large and versatile the proteome of a cell uh, becomes. Um, We wanted to study this pathway or why it came to our attention. It was actually from patient-derived data. In 2016, when I decided to study this cancer, there were many groups that were coming up with this hypothesis that pancreatic cancer comes into these two molecular subtypes. And there is one subtype that is more lethal, that different authors coined the term either basal or squamous subtype, and then the less lethal uh, form, which the authors called it classical. When we look back into the more aggressive form, this basal squamous molecular subtype, we were seeing that these tumors have a high expression of all of these genes that are going to encode for the splicing machinery, all the proteome that actually uh Allows the cells to produce different protein isoforms, and we started wondering if the reason why these tumors are so aggressive is probably because could they be more versatile in switching from one isoform to another one depending on whatever therapy we provide to the to the patient that layer lands into the tumor. Is this why previously we had not been able? to target the right protein isoforms because we had, until this point, ignore the importance
1: of isoforms
2: in this disease.
1: And so so that's an interesting concept, right, that um, certain cancer cells may have this splicing ability that helps them to switch from a given protein isoform to another protein isoform that may be more resistant to therapy. When you look at these two different subtypes, are they different in terms of their aggressiveness even before the therapy? In other words, Is it that these protein isoforms actually cause differences in the biology of the aggressiveness of the tumor itself? Or is it really this ability to react to the treatment um, with a different isoform that is more resistant? We think it's actually both. We think that this
2: capability of being plastic, it appears in naive tumors, so meaning that before any treatment, but it also gets used once you challenge the tumor with different therapies. So we think that this is this kind of constitutively active pathway that it allows the cells to transform and to become cancer cells during the pathogenesis and after the pathogenesis during treatment time.
1: So you were mentioning that you've come up with a way to block that that splicing, block that switching, so that if you prevent the cancer cell from actually switching to a different isoform, then potentially that cell is going to be more responsive to therapy or at least would not be able to produce a protein isoform that would be resistant to therapy. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And that's what we have learned so far from this therapy
2: is that it's actually very potent, that these cancer cells do not... Whenever you correct a splicing um, defect that they have and that they need to survive, as soon as you correct it, the cells are, become more sensitive to chemotherapeutic agents and or they just die on their own uh, because they cannot tolerate losing that expression of,
1: uh, of particular isoforms. So, so the next question, obviously, is how exactly does that happen? I mean, because this splicing mechanism is presumably something that is intrinsic to that tumor cell. So in order to stop it, you would need to get something into that tumor cell that actually stops something that it intrinsically has. How do you do that? And has that been tested in humans? So how do we do it? The cell,
2: in order to switch from one isoform to another one, the mRNAs have different sequences or save different signals that is going to tell a cell, produce isoform A or produce isoform B. Once we have I- identified which isoform we want to target, what we do is we introduce these imagine small pieces of RNA into a cell. And what we're going to do is we're going to block those signals that usually the cancer cell would read to produce the most lethal isoform. And we're going to fool it to make sure that it doesn't see it to mask mask these sites and force it to produce the other form. This therapy, because of the way that it works, we called it SHOT. So we're actually giving these SHOTs to the cancer cells and SHOT stands for splicing hit oligotherapy. Um, So far SHOT, we have not tested it in humans. All of our data comes so far from uh, patient cells, tumor, patient tumor cells that we grow in the lab. We also have tested this in our genetically engineered mouse models. And all of that has produced the preliminary data to start hopefully launching a clinical trial in the short future in the patients.
1: So so the next question is, when you have this mechanism, this shot um, that can block this splicing mechanism. You know, presumably you're giving it. You know, whether it's IV or orally, somehow you're you're trying to get this into tumor cells. Does it get into um, normal cells, and does it have any effect on the normal cells as well, or do normal cells not have this splicing mechanism? That's a very important question. So, so far,
2: the therapy that we, the kind of like the first phase of this therapy, we know that it's a specific for cancer cells because it's only going to correct splicing defect that appears only on cancer cells. It still gets in into the normal cells, but it can, it's no, it's not active there because the splicing defect is not present. So far, we have managed to introduce the therapy into the cancer cells uh, by directly injecting into the tumors of mice. What we are excited right now is that we're going to start coupling our shot with another therapy delivery technology that has been developed here at Yale and is actually currently under clinical trial testing called Flip. So flip is almost like a biosyringe that is gonna carry shot. And once it 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 lands into the tumor that has this particularly low pH. At that time, it will convert into a syringe. It will introduce SHOT into the the cells that are in that tumor microenvironment. So in that tumor microenvironment, you have cancer cells and you have cells that are non-cancerous. But the specificity comes that SHOT would only be able to correct splicing defects in cells that have it. And those splicing defects are only present in cancer cells. So I think the combination of flip and shut is going to be highly specific for tumor cells. It's going to be highly specific for splicing defects that we know are important for these cells. And it's going to decrease the amount of uh, side effects because the therapy is so specific.
1: And so so one question is, if SHOT is so specific based on the fact that this splicing mechanism only exists in cancer cells, then I guess the next question is, do you really need FLIP to kind of take it to where the cancer cells are, which is a low pH um, area, or can you just inject SHOT systemically um, and know that even if it were to circulate around and get absorbed by other cells, that it really wouldn't cause any harm. The only harm it would cause is in the tumor cells. Or is the idea behind FLIP that you would decrease the amount of shot that you would need so that you could more accurately target it to where the tumor actually is? It's actually the latter. This is the way that we can
2: increase the amount of dose of shot that is going to go directly into the cancer cells. Because if we just put shot systemically without a delivery technology, it will start getting word out and it's gonna the concentration is gonna drop. And by the time the little bit that reaches the tumor, it might be too low to have a biological impact.
1: Yeah. And so and so has this combination of flip and shot been tried in mouse models? We're actually testing it. And this is part of the, one of the reasons why I
2: wanted to come to Yale, because I wanted to combine our very exciting therapy with other delivery technologies that were being developed here specifically for, um, uh, for these, these um, therapies that modify the way that the cells express proteins and turn on genes. And so we are hoping that now that the research is ramping up after COVID that we can start testing. We cannot wait to collaborate and we're already starting to synthesize the shot in combination with FLIP.
0: Dr. Luisa Escobar Hoyos is an assistant professor of therapeutic radiology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is yale.edu and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.